I'd like you to turn with me now to uh, the book of Hebrews and to the first chapter. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, all of it, but I'm going to confine my remarks to the first, primarily to the first three verses. So please uh, let us rise and hear God's word. I am reading from the New King James. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance obtained, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels Worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heaven, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of his angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Let us pray. Our great God, How we rejoice always to hear your word. But especially, Lord, as we go through this part of Hebrews, we hear you, Lord, elevated to the highest realms. We see our Savior glorified. And we hear him speak to us through this passage as he does through all of your word. Encourage us now, Lord, as we reflect, meditate, 
and open our hearts to the ministry of the preaching of the word. And we give you thanks, O Heavenly Father, that in your divine wisdom, you have seen fit not to leave us groping in the darkness, being tossed and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, but you have given us the amazing word of God, our rock, our fortress, our refuge, our instructor, our guide, the one who leads us in the ways of righteousness. We thank you for it. Open our hearts now that we may hear it and believe it and do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Believe me, uh, I could be on this passage all day. Uh, I've tried to to limit, for your sake, uh, to a more reasonable time. But there is, in the first three verses, there is so much here. Uh, The verses almost deserve a a sermon, each verse. But again, I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 3. And the title of my sermon today is, God Has Spoken. God Has Spoken. And I know in a, a group of Orthodox Presbyterians, I, I shouldn't have to say that this is the Word of God. <laughs> I shouldn't have to say that you ought to meditate on it. You ought to study it. You ought to eat it <laughs> as your daily bread. I know I don't have to say that, but let's face it. We are constantly being bombarded by information. And as that information comes to our ears, we begin to wonder, what are we to believe? Who are we to believe? Who do you trust today to give you information that doesn't have a hidden agenda behind it? Where can you go? To always find information that is true. And the answer to that penetrating question is simply right here. This is truth. Jesus said it. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. Why do we turn to the Bible for our information, for our truth, for our guidance? And the answer to that question is simply this. Because in the Bible, God has spoken. In the Bible, God has spoken. And that is an amazing truth. That the almighty God would choose to give us information. Information about himself. Information about the world in which we live. Information about how do we overcome the plague of sin. 
Could we look out at the world in which we live and find from the creation how to be redeemed? No. Could we turn to the local newscast and find information about Jesus being the only redeemer? Most likely not. In fact, the Easter Bunny gets more TV time than Jesus does. But you, you have this. And you have it in a form that is readily readable, readily understandable, readily available. Some of you may be looking at this on your app, on your Bible app, that you carry with you all the time through your cell phone. This passage in Hebrews affirms, among many in the scriptures, it affirms that God has declared a message to us throughout all of human history, from the beginning to the last days. And as he has declared that message, that message is a saving message. And whereas in the Old Testament, God has revealed that message, but he revealed it in shadows and in types. In the New Testament, all of that comes together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And actually, as you look at this passage, one through three, it affirms the importance of Jesus Christ as the giver to us of God's word. Now, I could waste, excuse me, that's the wrong word. I could spend some time talking about an introduction to the book of Hebrews. And if I did, one of the subjects I would deal with is one that all the commentators deal with, namely, who is the author? A lot of people think it's Paul. A lot of people don't think it's Paul. <laughs> and there are reasons why some don't think it's Paul. I'm, I don't want to get into that today because it will detract from what I want to talk about. But I'll be glad to talk to you about the question of who I think the author is and why after the service. As you open up Hebrews, you find something a little bit strange with the book of Hebrews. It's an epistle, of course, but it's one of the few New Testament epistles that doesn't have a greeting. It's not addressed to a group of people. It's not addressed to a person. It doesn't have a greeting. Instead, the book of Hebrews begins with a vigorous refutation of what I will call the greatest lie. The greatest lie. 
And the greatest lie are, is these four words. Has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? We all know that that's a deceptively wicked question that led to the death of all men. Led to our spiritual separation from God. As, to po- as opposed to this lie of Satan... Verses 1 through 3 declare that God has clearly spoken to men. And God's message is simply this. Jehovah alone saves his people. He saves his people from their sins. And he has given them eternal life in Jesus Christ. In the author's mind, there's no doubt that God has spoken to man. No doubt of the importance of God speaking to man. And no doubt that all people ought to affirm the fact that God has repeatedly and voluminously. I had to practice that word. (laughs) Voluminously. Spoken to men. Repeatedly and voluminously spoken to men in various ways. The ultimate of which is his word. The author identifies in verse 1 and then again in verse 2. Two periods when God spoke to his period. Two periods of time. He calls them in time past, in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he says, in these last days. In these last days. Now, from the author's perspective, it is clear that in time past, he's speaking about the Old Testament. God has spoken in time past to us through the fathers, to the prophets. To the fathers through the prophets. Time past is before Christ. But these last days when God has spoken. Begins with Christ. Includes the time that the author is living. And extends even to you now. In In other words. In all of history. God has spoken to his people. Now, I'm going to give a clarification of that last comment in just a minute. But just bear with me as I talk about this a little bit more. In summary, God has never been silent about his wishes, about his will, about his saving message. But he desires that everyone know who he is, what he has done. And what he expects of us. All of this is with the limitation that God has not chosen to tell us everything. But what he has told us is sufficient. It's sufficient to know who he is, what he has done, and what he expects of us.
what God has revealed to us repeatedly and voluminously, he has done in time past in diverse ways and at various times, as verse 1 declares. Now, beside the fact that God has spoken to us audibly in various ways and in various times and in his last days through his son, we also affirm the biblical teaching, as Michael shared earlier, that God has spoken to everybody in the creation. That God has spoken to everyone in the creation. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament, his handiwork. Day unto day, every day, the creation utters speech. (laughs) We don't think of that. But that's what the text says. Every day, the, the creation is speaking. And it screams. God is. God made this. There is no uh, go on, going on in Psalm 19. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. No speech or language in the earth where the voice of creation is not heard. That's part of what I mean by God has repeatedly and voluminously spoken in creation. What do we do with that? What does man do with God's speech from creation? Well, you know the answer to that. Because of sin, because of sin, what we see in creation, we suppress. We suppress, according to Romans 1.18 and following, We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth is there. The truth is there. And we suppress it. We try to hold it down. We do everything we can to ignore it, deny it, disbelieve it. God, according to Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them. For God hath showed it to them. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Boy, that, that's an interesting concept. The invisible things of God are clearly seen in the creation of the world. And he goes on to say, being understood by the things that are made. We understand the invisible things of God through the things that God has made. Especially his eternal power and his Godhead. Those two aspects of God's being clearly seen. And then Paul writes, so that they, that is, men, are without excuse. Are without excuse, because that when they knew God, 
they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And if you read on in Romans 1, you find some of the consequences of the foolish heart being darkened. You find some of the consequences that are operative now in the world in which we live. You find men turning to idols instead of the living God, bowing down and worshiping idols. And you find all sorts of unnatural human relationships as a result of this denial of God men turn to themselves and they follow whatever whim floats around out there in the world that they can attach on to. But, as bad as the situation is for humankind, as humankind looks at the world, God did not give up. In addition to speaking to men continuously in creation, God has also spoken, spoken directly, audibly, in diverse ways to his people in the Old Testament and now speaks to us in these last days. God has chosen to give man more revelation. And this time, the revelation will be specifically focused, and mostly focused, on giving men details about their need for salvation and the one to whom they can turn to for salvation. God is telling us how we can know him and how we can live with him and how we can serve him. We call this revelation that God, of God's audible speaking, we, whether it's Old Testament or in these last days, we call this special revelations. revelation. And the special revelation consists primarily of Jesus and his word. Jesus and his word. And it's that word, this word, Though it may be historical and though it may be a collection of facts about people whom you can't identify with who lived a long, long time ago, they were still people. And they were people who needed the gospel then. And God was at work bringing the grace of the gospel to sinners' hearts throughout the Old Testament. If you don't believe me, what does Isaiah 53 say? 700 years before Christ, an accurate prediction of what the Christ would do on the cross. By, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Now, I had occasion to hear an individual, I think his name is Dr. Richard Gamble, teaches at the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, which I think is in Pittsburgh. 
Dr. Gamble was of the Jewish faith before he became converted. And um, he shared a story about his friend who invited him to come to a Bible study. And Dr. Campbell went to the Bible study, which ultimately was the uh, means that God used to draw Dr. Gamble to himself. He went to the Bible study, and they started reading. And they read this very passage of Isaiah 53. And I don't know what Dr. Campbell was expecting in a Bible study, but it sure wasn't Isaiah 53. Because he blurted out as they read and as they studied more, how dare you share with me from the New Testament? He didn't even know it was in the Old Testament. And I've subsequently found out that the rabbis don't know what to do with Isaiah 53. So you know what they do with it? They don't read it. To their demise. Very sad, isn't it? Well, we see that God has spoken to his people throughout history. And in verses 1 through 3, that speaking is contrasted. You notice there are a number of contrasts. Verse 1, God who at various times in diverse manners spake in Times past and unto the fathers. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the fathers in various different ways. He lists the prophets. But there were also other ways God spoke. Things called Christophanies. Which is simply an appearance of Christ. In a pre-resurrected form. Or a pre-incarnate form. Remember... How God spoke to Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Manoah, Samson's father. God directly spoke to them. Then there was something called the Urim and the Thummim. Which if anybody knows what they are, I would appreciate being enlightened about them. But these are part of the diverse ways. God spoke to Jacob in, in, uh, in, in, in a dream. God spoke to Isaiah. Isaiah 6, in a vision. All these ways, what constituted God's diverse way of speaking to his people in the Old Testament at various times. The revelation was unmistakable, but it was sporadic. And it was also developing revelation. It was organic, but it wasn't fully complete with details. There were shadows and types. Even the the sacrificial lambs and Passover, for example, were shadows and types of Jesus, our Passover, and our Lamb of God. But the fullness of Revelation had not yet been given in the Old Testament. And having said that, 
It is still sufficient. The word of God in the Old Testament and that revelation was still sufficient to bring the Old Testament saints to a saving knowledge of God. Remember Abraham in Hebrews, it's recorded. Hebrews 11, it's recorded that he reckoned that God could raise his son from the dead. That's resurrection theology, isn't it? It's there. You have to look for it. Some people wonder, I'm going off on a tangent. (laughs) Some people wonder, why is the book of Ruth in the Bible? I love the book of Ruth. And I understand, I think, why it's there. Because central to the book of Ruth is the concept of the kinsman redeemer. The brother, the relative who would raise up from the dead new life. That's resurrection theology in Ruth. That's why it's there. And I know, I know it's a stretch. I know it's a stretch to see Christ there. But it's always a stretch to see Christ in the scriptures. Only God has to open your heart. God has to open your mind to see it. And without that, your foolish minds and hearts will be darkened. Unless he does. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And in the same context in Hebrew, uh, John chapter 6, <clears throat> when people started leaving Jesus in droves, Because Jesus had said twice, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you wish to leave me too? And you remember Peter's magnificent, God-giving response. Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of life. You. Lord, have the words of life. Our living bread. Our salvation. Implied with verse 1 is a contrast in verse 2. In verse 2, where it says in verse 1, God at various times in diverse manners spake unto us by the fathers through the prophets. Verse 2 says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed all things, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom he made the worlds. Look at that statement. That's a, that's a powerful statement. God is, has speaking to his people by his son, number one, who is the heir of all things, number two, and who made all the worlds. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And through him, Nothing was made that was not made 
Jesus at the creation speaks. That word, in these last days, brings to us a note of finality. Last is last, isn't it? (laughs) What comes after last? Last is last. There's finality. There's closure. There's the end. God now in these last days speaks to us sinners. Not by prophets, not by visions, not by dreams, not by Urim and Thummim. (laughs) But he speaks directly to us in an absolutely unique way. Because you see now, he speaks to us in these last days through a person who is his mouth, who is the mouthpiece. And that person is God's son. See, this idea that, I said there was a contrast, it's a contrast between in, in, in times past and now. There's a contrast between the various human agents of speaking, the various dreams and visions and all that, but now it is by the Son. Now it is by the Son. And the Son is further embellished in the passage with several other key statements that make it clear that this has got to be the very last speaking of God. With the coming of the Son and with the end, with the Son's ministry and with those who came after him, who spoke his words and recorded it in the scriptures, that's the end. The end of God's revelation. Let me just... uh, point out a couple of these things that embellish Christ's speaking as the last day. He is the Son. He is the Son of God, contrasted with everybody else. He is, of course, a prophet. He's not only a prophet, he's the prophet. But he is also the heir of all things. Verse 2. The others were caretakers, stewards. But all things always belong to Christ. He, as the heir of all things, has the authoritative final say about what is his and what is his on this earth and with regard to his people. Notice also, that the Christ Son is identified as the one who made the worlds. The one who made the worlds. The worlds were divinely created by the Savior. He made the worlds with Jehovah himself. Angels didn't make the world. Prophets didn't make the world. Visions didn't create the world. But Jesus made the worlds. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made.
it's this Jesus who now speaks. And then notice one more thing about <coughs> one more thing about him. In verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Jesus is identified as being the brightness of his glory. <laughs> the brightness of his glory. That phrase points to the absolute transcendence of Christ's being. It points to the fact that only Jesus dwells alongside the glory of the Father. Glory, you see, is not our realm. Not the realm of the sinner. Glory is the realm of God. And Jesus resides in that glory. And Jesus speaks from that glory. He speaks from the brightness of that glory. Brightness brings to mind the point that God's revelation <clears throat> does not come from the realm of darkness or from the realm of sin. It doesn't come from the realm of men. It is not tainted with sin and error. No, Christ's revelation, what we have in these last days, comes from the word of the eternally pure light of God's presence. Think about that. Think about that. This comes from the eternally pure world of God's glorious presence. The Lord Jesus speaks to us from the realm of his holiness, speaking words of infinite mercy, truth, and justice. He speaks from a realm so glorious, so wonderful, so holy, so perfect, so merciful, that no human can ever adequately describe its wonder, let alone ever speak from it. He's the express image of God's person. Christ who speaks to you is the final speaking to you because he is God. It's the exact, he's the exact image of God. He's God in all of his attributes. As God is the Alpha and Omega, so is Christ's revelation, the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha Omega of Revelations 21.6. He is the final fullness of knowledge, righteousness, and truth. No more needs to be found no more needs to be discovered. No more needs it is needed. Revelation has come to us from the realm of the brightness of heavenly glory. And from the express image of the one who is God in the flesh. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Christ sustains this world by the word of his power. Simply by speaking, everything happens. According to his word.
When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That, that, that statement where it's found here in this passage links together three thoughts regarding Christ. He is the Christ of creation. He is the Christ of revelation. He is the Christ of redemption. And they're all linked. They're all together. You can't separate one from the other. Christ speaking, you see, is ultimate and final. Just as Christ's redemptive work is ultimate and final. Christ speaking is ultimate, and I know that from the text. It's final, just as his redemptive work is ultimate and final, because it says, when he purged our sins, he sat down. He sat down. Very, very key statement. He sat down. You sat down when you rest. Setting down is the posture of rule. Rest and rule. No more, no more work to be done because you see, it, it is finished. The redemptive work is done. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Who is all these things. And all these things bear on the finality of his revelation. <clears throat> the author here, in conclusion, wants us to understand that the revelation we have in the scriptures is because that Christ has spoken from the beginning to the end. In the past, through various means, but now through one mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate fulfillment of all the speaking. <laughs> it all points to him. In him, all things have their end, their being and their end. I preached this sermon to you because as I began talking about the fact there's so much information out there and not all of it in fact, a good bit of it is not really beneficial to your salvation. There's only one place that's beneficial to your salvation, and that's here. That's hearing God's word. And I hope that what I have said to you today will make you more confident that this is God's word, <laughs> and it is your hope. It is your blessing. It is for your blessing. And I hope it will cause you to spend some time meditating upon it, digging into it, and studying it. And being blessed by it. Has God said? Well, Hebrews makes it very clear the answer to that question is a resounding yes. God has spoken in these last days by Jesus, his son, in his word. And because of that, you have a sure salvation 
and confidence to live in the expectation of one day dwelling in glory with your Savior. Do not live by the vapid and vacuous words from the sin-darkened mind of evil men of our current fearful cancel, cancel culture age. Instead, you, brothers and sisters, I exhort to live, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, bless this uh, ministry, this word of ministry to your people. Uh, Encourage them, uh, provide comfort to them, provide understanding. Provide, O Lord, uh, a home, a safe resting place in you and in your word. May May your word always be a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. May it always guide them home to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.